0: Hello and welcome to Caged in Presents, Copla Connections as Ever brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsilavas If you are new to these dear shores that we call Copla Connections Isles, what we do here is we watch every single film in the collective Copla family filmography to determine: are they the greatest film family of all? Time. We are here today for episode 65 on this specific journey. And the film we are discussing is the 1970 uh, Daniel Haller film, The Dunwich Horror. And I'm joined by a return guest, somebody who has been very impactful and important for this here podcast. It's the one and only. Todd Jordan, who is kind of a multi hyphenate musician, composer, writer, and podcaster, which was first and foremost how I got to know Todd way back when. When before this podcast started, it was the first podcast I ever listened to, where I was like, "Hey, that's quote unquote a normal person doing this." Uh, it's, it's just it's yeah. It's it's a couple of guys with a mic recording a podcast, and I was kind of like, "Ah." Oh, I got inspired by that. I was like, they could do it, I can do it, surely, surely. Uh, and then, yeah, so it's great to have Todd back, seeing as he joined me really early on to discuss 8mm. So head on back and listen to that. So as always, guys, we'll be spoiling this film, but it is a lovely yogg H.B. Lovecraft bashing, but also um, understanding the the work of the man at the same time. And yeah, we get all into it, we discuss everything we possibly can about it. We talk about Lovecraftian as a concept, we talk about the film, we talk about the career of Dean Stockwell, we talk about uh, well, just, just just all types of fun things. It's very sprawly, it's very weird, it's very fun. So yeah, all that's left to do is to get out your Necronomicon your hands by the side of your face and do that weird alistair crowley thing as we make some copula connections with the dunwich horror Necronomicons, and Cthulhu is what we're in for in this episode as we look at the 1970 HP Lovecraft adaptation, The Dunwich Horror, directed by Daniel Holler and written by Curtis Hansen, 8 Mile's very own, Uh, Henry Rosenbaum as well, not anything to do with uh, 8 Mile, and Ronald Siloski. The film stars Dean Stockwell, Sandra D. Ed Begley, Lloyd Bochner, and today's Coppola connection in her second ever screen performance, Talia Coppola, as she is credited in this film, later known as Shire. Joining me to put the Coppola family up on the altar as we read passages from the Necronomicon, and determine if they are pure or just beasts from another dimension is writer, composer, musician, and host of the Bitter End podcast, Todd Jordan. How are you, Todd? I am dope as hell, Petros. Are you ready for the old ones to return? Yogsof off. off. <laughs> are, yeah, Yoggsof off. I see, I'm glad that you said that right up front, because I was trying to like pass what they were actually saying, like from the first time, well what is he what's dean stockwell what's sexy dean stockwell going on about in this film
2: do you know what he's absolutely stunning uh, <laughs> as as like a, just a 70s gent do you know that dean stockwell's dad was the voice of prince charming in the original disney uh, that's sleeping beauty amazing and
0: the jeans run deep that's just a voice imagine what he could have done with his face one of the things i was thinking about when like we'll get on to dean stockwell obviously when we get really deep into the film but at this point, I think he could have gone two ways. He could have he could have become Dean Stockwell, or he could have been John Saxon. Like I, I like they they, they they I was like they look similar because obviously he, his character is basically terrorizing a woman called Nancy. I was like, is no, it's not. it's not Dean Stockwell in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street? Is it? Then I was like, that would be great because obviously one of the many films you've covered on Bitter End Podcast is the well, I say films, franchises. We did the lot, baby. (laughs) So yeah, for listeners who may not know, obviously, of Bitter End, what is the Bitter End and what do you guys do on that pod?
2: So the Bitter End podcast is a movie podcast in which myself and a cool dude called Tom pick a franchise and we start it from the beginning and then we see it through to the bitter (laughs) end. So we're talking 12 Friday the 13th movies. We're talking, oh gosh, maybe eight 10-ish Friday the 13th We did Home Alone We did Jaws, we've done Candyman Highlander, uh, Police Academy, that was maybe the (laughs) roughest ride of all Um, And uh, yeah, there's been some John Saxon along the way, there's been uh, a lot of heavy hitters, not many copplers that I can think of
0: there, there, there There is one person who kind of really sticks out in the films you've covered that kind of crops up in a Christopher Coppola film. So I'm not sure if you've ever seen the Nicolas Cage starring Deadfall. It's also got Michael Bean in it. Uh, it's directed no. by... Uh, yeah, Chris Coppola uh, has a performance from the one and only Angus
2: Scrimm. <gasps> from Phantasm, <laughs> the tall man. I love Angus Scrimm. And it's so rare to see him in anything non-Phantasm related.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of like, uh, but he is absolutely cuckoo bananas in that film. Because he has... He plays this kind of shadowy character who comes in. Whoa, like, that sounds like a Ranger scream! Like what? Really late into the film, and he's like, he's got like a claw hand. <laughs>
2: <laughs> does he go boy? He does
0: he, he does no. He does know boy. But he kind of there is, and I think there is like he, in his office, he does have some like silver ball. It's like, all right, we get it, Chris Copler. <laughs> You've seen Phantasm. Oh, what a great treat. I might actually have to... I've
2: not seen that one, so I'm going to have to s- sneak it out because I like to think that I'd seen pretty much everything that the
0: Scrimster had done. Yeah, yeah. I always remember listening to your podcast and there's that great anecdote about Angus Scrim and obviously it hit the people who knew him outside of his films like didn't know that he had that double life as a movie star right
2: yeah they just he was just a sweet old man that did like everybody's gardens in his neighborhood (laughs) and when he died the whole neighborhood turned out to his funeral and discovered for the first time that he was one of the great horror movie villains of our age
0: amazing amazing never Um, talked about it i recently had a discussion with my stepdad about like films, a, a rare kind because of, normally if we talk about films, it's like war films, like last week's *Pattern*, for instance. Well, we we'll have a long, long discussion about that. But I was like, "So, are you into like any horror films or anything?" And he's like, "Well, we had this long thing where he he described the plot of a film, and it turned out to be, and now I'm going to forget what it is. Now it's try it on me. I might know. I I like horror films. It is a film about um." a haunted house but they recreate the haunted house inside of a laboratory setting to mm. see if 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 it, if it if it like if if the haunting is the house or if it is the person i it's got it's a it's a definite a definite article film it's the something the something okay i can't we'll leave that thread hanging for you listeners and we'll get back to it once i've done a little google um but yeah and one of the films he said was i really like phantasm have you ever seen it i've seen it baby i've seen all five of them (laughs) and he's like what there's five so me and my stepdad i think are going to uh at some point do a, a basic like Bitter end binge watch of the phantasm uh, sequels in one night.
2: <laughs> oh, mate, I, I would I'm... love to go back to those films. They're so strange and they're so weird. And a lot of them, especially the earlier ones, have some references to a certain Mr. H.P. Lovecraft, H.P. Lovey C., who we might be talking
0: about a little bit tonight. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. we're talking about H.P. Lovecraft quite, 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 quite a substantial amount. But before we get to H.P. Lovecraft, I must ask you as I ask, all my guests on this podcast, Todd, is when did you become aware of the coplers? And I'm not just talking like the, the specific person. I want to know that. But when did you realize they were this kind of, I don't know, like, yeah, tentacles like Cthulhu of, 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 of all these, these tendrils that kind of go all over the place?
2: Uh, It's an interesting question. So I did, for my sins, do a film degree. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And, you know, I'd I'd obviously, I'd seen the big ones. You know, I'd seen all of the films that you need to see. I'd seen Pulp Fiction, thought it was fine. (laughs) I'd seen uh, uh, Goodfellas, thought it was pretty good. Uh, I'd seen uh, Razorhead, liked a Razorhead. Those are all the films you need to see in order to go to film school. So off I went. (laughs) Da, 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 going, <laughs> um, and it's not until then that I turned up and I saw all three uh, Godfather films in one in one sort of weekend. I think probably I was my... say what one sitting was going not, not one sitting, <laughs> but me and my mates did it. And there was this other guy there who'd like been through the whole thing, and the whole way through he was like, "Oh, that's his, that's his aunt, that's his sister, that's his, that's his brother, mm. that's his nephew." And I was like, "Bloody hell, mate! All right, wind your neck in. You don't need yeah. to cast all of your <laughs> friends and family." And then it was uh, that was I want to say because of how old I am, almost assuredly the year that Lost in Translation came out. Amazing. And then there was this name again, Coppola. Yes. I was like, do you hell? Why? Why am I seeing this name all <laughs> over the place?" Um, so that would have been
0: when I, I was uh, sort of suddenly aware. Did you did you check out Lost in Translation off the back of? Obviously, watching I did check it out.
2: Now, brace yourself, Petrus. That film is not for me. <laughs> Do not fall off your chair. I saw it once in the cinema when it came out uh, and I, I left safe in the knowledge I never need to see that film again. Um, I, I know a lot of people that love it. I had a big, long chat recently with one of my best friends about how it's his favourite film ever. Um, I asked him why he couldn't tell me. That's fine. I understand.
0: I think, I, I think a, lot of, a lot of men who say that's their favourite film Uh, All you need to do is Google image search the, like, vinyl, like, release of it, and that is why it's their favourite film. It's the opening shot, ladies and gentlemen, is why uh, it is a lot of gentlemen's favourite film. My favourite film, but we're not here to talk about that right now. Uh, (laughs) Have you ever met a Coppola? Not that I know of, but, like, how would I know? Yeah, I get it. How would I know? I don't know. I've, some of them, I think, would announce it. Uh, but I. But um, they,
2: they've got like different names and things.
0: Yeah, they do. Yeah, right. Ka- yeah, but just... you'd know of Nicolas Cage. You'd hear. You would hear. You'd. I think you'd smell Nicolas Cage before yeah, you saw him. Absolutely.
2: Um. <laughs> but like, I've met. You know, I've met some men. I've met some women. Some of them might have been Copulas.
0: That is. True. I don't know. That is true. There's a lot of lot of names on this list that we I haven't even got to cover on this podcast because, quite frankly nobody's ever heard of their films so <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, that um you could have you could have met one of those who, who knows um so when it comes to the member we're talking about this week which is talia shire do you know what would have been your entry point would it have been the the godfather that you would have seen her in first
2: um pr- i'm trying to think back so i'm uh i'm more familiar and i I'm going to do that really bad thing where people talk about a, um, a female artist and immediately start talking about their male partner. Uh-huh. Right. I'm not, I'm not doing that deliberately, but this was my path in, um, she was married to David Shire, yep. who, uh, I know from, uh, his incredible music score work. I love film scores. Um, uh, and he's one of the best out there, uh, specifically the conversation, the Francis Ford Cobbler oh. conversation. That's yeah, the yeah, one yeah. that sticks in my mind. So, For me, the path in was going, oh, she's married to David Shire. Cool. Um, that for My Sins that was my my entry point yeah. that said I would have seen her obviously in The Godfather
0: yeah Ro- Rocky never seen the Rocky films uh, I've
2: seen the first one not for me
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's why it was never on the bitter end ladies and gentlemen oh god not for Tom's wanting to try he, Tom fucking loves Rocky Tom gets up in the morning ready to talk about Rocky yes yes well sorry Tom you need a super sub for that series Tom I, 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 I'm your man I love the Rocky films too um yeah, like, it is interesting that she's carried the name through, right? As well. Mm. The, I, I don't know, I don't know what that. I don't know.
2: I think she's probably technically a Schwartzman now, isn't yeah.
0: she? But yeah. Yeah, or or maybe back to I don't I don't I don't. Know. No, no, still Schwartz. Yeah, her husband uh, unfortunately passed away. But yeah, she yeah, Schwartzman. I don't know. I don't know why the Shire, why she went I'll take that one.
2: I guess maybe that's when she like registered. Well, oh, no, mm. Because you have to register for your, like, card, don't you? Screen Actors Guild, yeah. yeah. So maybe that's it. But i got to say, she's got some chops. You know, Uh, we're not necessarily going to get to see the full display of her chops in 1970 in this movie we're going to be talking about later. Mm -hmm. But, like, um, my terrible story of, like, only knowing about her from her husband is not meant to reflect on her, uh, like, talent as an actor. I think she's dope as hell.
0: Yeah, well, like, when when you get to, like, something like Godfather Part 3, because obviously you lose Robert De in that film, mm. you kind of see that she gets to pick up the mantle of this kind of conciliary for Michael, and really gets to like I don't know some really meaty stuff to do, despite that film kind of not being well, it, it, it's not as bad as everyone says it is, but at the same time I like it. Yeah, I like I like I like Number Three. It's, 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 it's got it's got fantastic sequences. That whole that whole sequence in the opera at the end, and especially her speaking of uh, Talia Shire's acting her kind of like knowing that like there's the poison the cannoli. poison cannoli yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like just the face <laughs> acting is perfect um and well yeah Seeing as we're talking about great face acting let's talk about film we are here to talk about which is the done witch horror but before we do let's listen to the trailer
1: The nights are darker. And night is when it happens in The Dunwich Horror. Come back, old one. Princes of darkness repossess the earth the dunwich horror based on hp lovecraft's terrifying tale of those who explore the unspeakable starring sandra d dean stockwell academy award winner ed begley sam jaffe Believes the history of horrendipity written here. The love story of a girl looking to the future and a boy dedicated to the mysteries of the past. He invokes the unspeakable. Yeah. Satha. She invites it. You're one of us now. paradise of terror where fear eternal lives and the dead come to life i've never heard anything like that
0: the dunwich horror was released on the 14th of january 1970 on a budget of nobody knows because it's not available on the internet uh and made one million dollars which i imagine for the roger corman outfit american pictures international was probably gangbusters profit because i think they were knocking out films for like 75 grand or he would be like here's a budget for one film go make two on the same sets please i know that uh that's basically what he did with uh Francis Ford Coppola with uh, dementia 13 in 1963 so there's it's kind of great that there's this uh uh I don't know relationship yeah that, that the, the breeding ground and I'm just so sure it's something we can get into this kind of great breeding ground that Roger Corman created for going forward some of the most interesting directors we we, we get right for the for the next 30 40 50 plus years of cinema um but i must ask you todd what is the dunwich horror all about could you give us a brief synopsis yeah man uh that would be
2: my pleasure um <laughs> straight off the bat i would like to discuss the controversy of dunwich versus dunwich okay okay uh, so we're two british men i would yes. say medium british medium medium rare british yes yeah
0: um i got so- a bit of i got a bit of a uh, greek in me
2: Right, of course. No, I would never have guessed Petros Tassilovus. But um, before you saw this movie, if you'd seen the name written down, how would you have said the title? Uh,
0: I don't know, just because I think I've, I've always heard it as Dunwich, just because I think the first time I heard it pronounced is from an American talking about the H.P. Lovecraft work. Mm, of course. <laughs> okay.
2: So um, I come from the school of Norwich and things yes. of that nature. Yeah. Uh, so I I, I had read the H.P. Lovecraft story as a teenager. Um, loved it. I, I'm well aware of the controversies of all of the problems with H.P. Uh, Lovecraft as a human being. Can I swear on this podcast? Of course you fucking can. Massive piece of shit. Yep. <laughs> Not here to defend that. As a teenager, I didn't know about that. It was I didn't know it at the time. Sorry, I read the stories. I really liked them, um, and so in my head it was always Dunwich, 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 Dunwich. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I always find it very shocking when I when I when I come to this now and and they say
0: Dunwich. Yeah, well, I guess it's that thing of like. Uh, and sorry, America listeners. They just don't know how to pronounce things a lot of the time. All right. Sorry guys, you, you don't. We've 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 all seen your musical artists come over here and play Glast- Glad Gladstone Berry. Like <laughs> like come on, come on, guys. Yeah. Um yeah, I think that own like, weirdly, because I'm not that versed in the works of HP Lovecraft, but I remember when again. Talking of pieces of shit, uh, Richard Stanley made Color Out Space, mm. and his there was talks once that was semi-successful that they were going to uh, Spectivision were going to allow him to do like a planned like trilogy, not maybe not like linked within characters and stuff like that, but H.P. Lovecraft stories, and one of them was going to be yeah, Dunwich Horror, and. I think I would have heard on a podcast or some kind of news segment. That's how it was pronounced, and yeah, I always find like that is a fascinating thing because we can get into thoughts on color at space because it's interesting. There is connective tissue within these films. A lot of there's both both of them involve somebody shooting something in a barn ladies and gentlemen that is a connection we can make between those two films so um I didn't do the synopsis, did I? I no. should do
2: that now. I've tried to get out of it because it's a tricky one to do a synopsis for. I guess what, what you're talking about is um, apropos, though, because a lot of H.P. Lovecraft's stories do have interconnective tissues. He was kind of writing a sort of a shared universe, uh, loosely called the Cthulhu Mythos, uh-huh. is uh, what it was referred to. Although he himself, as a writer in the 1920s, what he didn't like the term Cthulhu Mythos, which is what his friends and other fellow writers were calling it. He wanted to call it Yogs yogsothory okay <laughs> yogsothoth being a, a a primary element in the story that i will recount to you now amazing so um in uh, a, a sort of a timeless time i guess vaguely i mean the movie's made in 1970 everybody in it kind of looks a little bit more there's a sort of a 1920s slash
0: 1950s thing going on. Yeah, you don't on. know, because yeah, they're supposed to be like country bump kings as well. Yeah, they've got
2: cars. We know they've got cars <laughs> and coffee shops, but they also dress like sort of Victorian gentlemen and there's a lot <laughs> of weird like timelessness going on. But the movie begins uh, with a woman giving birth while some sort of freaky old people watch her when they've got like markings on their foreheads with uh-huh. sort of arcane imagery and impossible geometry and they're sort of watching and, you know... They're just they're they're fans. There's cool flute music, and then we get one of the all-time dope as hell animated title sequences. Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, um, if you don't have time to watch the Dunwich Horror, at least look up the animated title sequence because it's so cool, isn't it? It
0: is. It, I, I have got a lot of time for and the song as well. the The score for this is composed by Christopher Holmes and it's this i don't know, it's got like almost that thing that they would do with like jalo scores right mm. where it would be like there's like an orchestral element to it but then all of a sudden there's like a a rock beat underneath and stuff like that like i i left the blue like arrow blu-ray playing and it's kind of got just a I a 16-bar loop of, like, the the, the the music from this film. And I was just, like, found myself, I was like, I'm just jamming out to this, baby. Come it's on, It's really strong. It's really
2: good. <laughs> um, so, uh, I don't know how much detail you want me to go into this, but our key players are Sandra D uh of of the yes. song from Greece fame. Yeah, that's
0: that that's all I like Look at Me, I'm Sandra D is all I yeah. think of. I've no idea of any of her other So the films. other lyrics are Look at Me, I'm Sandra D, lousy with virginity. In this movie she has so much sex. <laughs> <laughs> but has but has virginity. And um we'll get on to uh how much sex she has later on in the podcast because I've got a burning question. I'm gonna I'm gonna okay. pin that onto the board now so I don't forget it. Um, so, uh, what happens after the
2: birth and the animated title sequence is that we see Sandra Dee as Nancy, um, walking around the, uh, Miskatonic University in the fictional state of, uh, county, sorry, fictional county of Arkham, Massachusetts, where, uh, most of H.P. Lovecraft's work was set, um, and she's just sort of having a bit of banter with
0: uh Dr Henry Armitage
2: about uh the necronomicon yeah that's
0: that 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 is a that is a big sticking point for me that it's just the fact that like this is a book for a lot of people obviously you might not know hb lovecraft work you just think of immediately like evil dead and stuff like that right like of course <laughs> and that's what they
2: were referencing when they made the evil dead they yeah. were referencing these stories but um there's a lot it shows up in a lot of his work uh this this fictive uh book of the dead called the necronomicon written by the mad arab abdul al-hazred um and uh it's uh supposed to be the Book of Dead Names is what the word Necronomicon means. Um, And it's uh, all about sort of lost, uh, it's supposedly written in a language that is long since lost to time. So nobody on earth speaks that language anymore. And there's all of the unknown secrets. A lot of H.P. Lovecraft's work. And I would like to again remind listeners that I do not endorse the man at all. I know that he's (laughs) an absolute, absolute monster. But um, a lot of his work has this idea that is reasonably appealing to me that is, there is this sort of, Uh, it's a hidden world that's just beneath the surface that's that's slightly out of reach, but it's always there. You could just, if you could just scratch just a little bit deeper, you can get to this thing that you're missing out on that Uh will solve all of your problems. And um, the sort of recurrent idea time and time again is um, the danger of too much knowledge. Uh And uh, the, the sort of the, the fact that ignorance is, is bliss, but that is human nature is to like, push away from that and yeah. you know strive for things that we shouldn't and that is all embodied within the pages of the
0: Necronomicon. Conveniently written in English though.
2: In this uh, <laughs> apparently written in English yes um, so uh, Sandra Lee takes it to the library. Um, matey boy Dean Stockwell aka Al from Quantum Leap um, also in Blue
0: Velvet he's the suave guy. Yeah he does he sings a song right? In uh, Blue he Velvet? sings
2: Candy Coloured Clown they
0: call the Sandman. Yeah he's uh, he, yeah he's sexy as well he's, he's very film.
2: very sexy in this film now interestingly in the original lovecraft story uh, the uh dean stockwell character of wilbur waitley is a disgusting disfigured goat boy who's sort of half-human, (laughs) half-goat, has a hunchback and kind of shuffles along in this like dirty mac and creeps through the shadows and you can smell him before you see him and he's this sort of horrific figure. (laughs) Whereas in this, he is slick and smooth and a handsome man. Well yeah,
0: because you've got to imagine this film would have been what made in like 1969, so they're kind of very much kind of imbuing that whole like, I don't know, he's got that hippie edge to him where he's like, even without the kind of magic that he's obviously wielding within this film, he's just got this kind of like thing where he can, he can stare at you and it's like you oh, will yeah. succumb to his wills. Like, even I found myself, I was like, I think I'm going to get pregnant. Like just looking at this Teen Stock. he's world. a
2: handsome, handsome <laughs> fellow, and there's some very, very cool sort of nice. Like it's the you know. It's just after the summer of love. That's that's very much the vibe here. So I'm sure I'm going into too much detail, but basically. Wilbur Waitley, Dean Stockwell. He wants the Necronomicon. His great grandfather once had another copy of it, but was hung by the locals on the village of Dunwich for um, for you know reading from it. Uh, was involved maybe with the the sacrifice of a young lady.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. You kind of you don't get to fight. Yeah, he tells that story later on in the film. Right? We get we we get that, and it seems to be once a generation somebody's trying to somebody's trying to bring back the the el the the, the forgot- old
2: ones the elder things so yes uh that is the n- the nature of what's going on here is that just as i've described with um the core nugget of the lovecraft uh is that long before there were humans there were um there was another race entirely. The old, sometimes called the old ones, the elder things, all of this stuff. They were here before us and they either went away or died or moved through to another plane of existence or something. And for reasons that Lovecraft does not care to explain, <laughs> Wilbur Whateley wants them back.
0: Well, yeah, isn't there like this whole thing and it's it's a thing that works li- like liter literally as in like in literature not as in like uh an american channel like literally um is that there's like, like with color out of space, like it's described as like, it is a color that no human can. Right, so it's, it's, there's um, a lot of stuff in H.P. Lovecraft, right? That is like that. Like it's a dimension that can, uh, words cannot fathom. Like. Absolutely. So it's aspects of
2: uh sensation and experience beyond the realm of the human senses. So a lot of the same ideas are present in Clive Barker's Hellraiser, uh-huh. for example, which is a very Lovecraftian story. Um, but there's this uh, this notion that you know we're dumb animals on, on a on a on a cosmic sense you know within the the wider universe and there's we know that there are colors that we can't see uh-huh. and you know temperatures that we cannot withstand and sounds that are so great that they will make our ears bleed <laughs> and uh, ideas supposedly within this this world that the if you were to get that idea in your head your brain will explode and things like that and for whatever reason the waitley family or some members on the weight of the waitley family they're like no we need we need progress we need to push this on we need to usher in the new realm we will adapt but we 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 need it and it's I, I guess i struggle with it a bit because it's it's two ideas right because partly It's like progress. We push it on. This time we need to evolve. We need to like change what we can experience and and go to these these new heights, these new realms. But at the same time, he's literally trying to bring back something called the old ones. Yeah, so it's very backwards leaning
0: as well. I guess it's that thing where he's trying to look for something that is like it's new to our existence here. Do you know what I mean? And like, I think this film. And it is something that I I don't know. I guess young young people throw around this word a lot and kind of uh, like films for it. It's 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 a vibe to this film. (laughs) It doesn't really care too much about like the the story. Like you're saying, there is no there is no reason given why Wilbur Waitley. Well, we have to to just
2: wonder. We have to wonder. It is it is by its own nature unknowable. Um, and uh, yeah, so as the movie progresses, uh, it's basically about this struggle uh, with Dean Stockwell, who's, who's Wilbur Waitley, and he needs to get the, the Necronomicon. But he doesn't just need the Necronomicon, mate. He also needs Sandra D to be pregnant and in his house, which he manages to engineer by uh, getting her to give him a lift home and then messing up her car so she can't leave. And then having sex with her a bunch after having drugged her tea.
0: Not cool. Yeah, yeah, and like being te- being half scared to death by Alan Jaffe as this, as this as as old. I think his credit in the film is just like old man old Waitley. Old man Waitley, yeah. <laughs>
3: um,
2: and so that's what the movie sort of becomes. Is uh, he effectively? Uh, keeps her captive, sort of in 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 his house. She's there willingly, though. But he is drugging her tea, and he, um, just as we've sort of described with this like Lovecraftian idea, he opens her up to new realms of experience and pleasure. He, um, uh, they have a lot of chats about sex, and he's like, "Do you like sex?" And she's like, "It's fine." And he's like, "But do you love it?" <laughs> um. And then there's a lot of some very, very cool 1970 trippy dream sequences with uh, naked people running around in the hills and like some cool, like sort of early digital technicolor graphic effects.
0: Yeah, that's amazing, that stuff. Like, And it's a nice little shortcut for like getting around stuff right with that whole thing of like... You can't see it. You can't see it. It's unknowable. It's unknowable. You cannot see this beast. Like, it's it's nothing to do with the budget. It's nothing to do with the budget. (laughs) Which I've got to say, pays off particularly well
2: once we get to the big twist that Wilbur Waitley has a secret brother living in the attic.
0: Oh, yeah. I was like, where is this? Where is it? And and immediately, seeing as like, this was a first time watch for me. Like, and yeah, that was going to be my, like, uh, it's, when when did you first watch this adaptation of this story?
2: Uh, I would have first seen it probably a couple of years ago, but I'd read the story when I was a teenager, so a long, long time ago. So I I already knew about the the hidden brother.
0: Well, it's, it's really interesting, like something like this, because it then I start to realise films I'd seen earlier, but obviously came out after this, and like like even with the story of probably i don't know maybe borrowing from this or just like kind of tropes you see throughout horror but the, there's a shot that is like i think it's the same shot just reused in this film of the door rattling or, or in in the in the in the like kind of third floor of the house and just the shot of the door weirdly was reminding me of the film um the house of the devil the Ty west film i love that a, film yeah, yeah yeah like kind of again that's like kind of period set in the 70s and it just remind. it kind of uh, immediately brought my mind to that where i'm like oh as soon as somebody says like you cannot go in there or like oh what if she goes in that room i was like oh like it's gonna be really bad. <laughs> like, it's,
2: it's Bluebeard's bride, isn't it? It's yes. the folk tale of Bluebeard's yeah. bride, the the young woman who marries and don't go in that room. Don't you must never go in that room. And traditionally, that story ends: she goes in the room and discovers all of the dead brides that have come before yeah. <laughs> her. Um, in this, uh, Sandra D does not go in the room. She's very pliant. Um, again, she has been drugged. This is kind of why, but she's just like, yeah, okay, fine, I won't but what we do get is um sort of a, a plucky girl friday type who's who's trying to find Sandra yeah. Dee and be like I want to bring her back she goes looking she goes snoop him um she pushes past old man waitley who's like don't go up there <laughs> i'm very old um she pushes past him she goes up and she has the coolest moment in the entire movie which i it's very dated but my God, I love this scene. Her death yeah. when she opens the door and discovers um, Wilbur Waitley's uh, twin brother who looks more like their father than Wilbur Waitley does. And their father, uh, spoiler alert, their father is Yog sothoth old one okay. from beyond the stars. The mighty Yogg-Sothoth um, of Yog sothothery fame, um, <laughs> who in this movie is represented by like some color and the sound of some flapping wings, and like kind of tentacles, but also it's like a ring of teeth, and these just sort of flailing. Y- yes. Good lord, it's good. It's, I mean, if you want to talk about like an unknowable horror, something that you can't like, we're not equipped to glimpse it.
0: The way that it's handled, chef's kiss. Well, do you think that like H.P. Lovecraft lends itself to like low budget horror? Because I imagine this would have been done on a on a low budget, like where, like. Because I guess you can do, you can go two ways with it, right? When you start to like envision the characters. like I was re- I'm not sure if you ever watched the TV series Lovecraft Country. I did, But That yes, was kind of like, yeah, like based on like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that was based from- on a novel that was uh,
2: by Matt Ruff that was yeah. like a sort of a reaction ag- against, um, that was more of a reaction against H.P. Lovecraft, the man.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then obviously, like, used, kind of, like, yeah. used his characters and some of them followed the, the yogs of fothery. It mm. it? But, like, um, with that, obviously, they go kind of full digital, all these creature effects and stuff like that. But then you go to, like, there is something, especially within the writing, there is the, the unknowable and mm. the idea that you can, I don't know, like, and tapping into that horror of like what we don't see is more horrifying Yeah, I, it right? is
2: a bit more literary, uh, like you were saying. So um, one of my favorite kind of quintessential moments from any of those stories is in the the, the short short story um The Call of Cthulhu, uh-huh. which you, you may have heard of. There's a moment in that where there's like a a new dimension is being summoned up out of the sea and it's merging with the earth, and there's all of these sailors that have they're getting they're kind of caught underneath this dimension as it's coming up like an island and there's just a line where um there's a a man falls into an angle that shouldn't have been there um and i lo- when i when i was a kid reading that story i was like that is the creepiest idea ever that there could just be like an angle that shouldn't exist and you can fall and get trapped yeah, into yeah, yeah. it like like getting your foot stuck in a grate or something <laughs> um but you cannot put that on film um the closest that i've seen is there's um you mentioned the color out of space earlier um much much earlier than the Richard Stanley one there's a mo- a german movie called defaber uh-huh. uh which translates as the color and they did an adaptation of The Color Out of Space. It's the same story. And the, the way that they handled it was they shot it. It's all in black and white, except for the color, which is the only thing amazing. in the film that is in color. And it's, you just get these like spots on the screen that are just like these really, really bright Technicolor That's patches amazing. while the whole rest of the world is black and white. That's a cool way to handle it. Mm-hmm. But, um, otherwise, no, I think it's fundamentally just very, very difficult to put into pictures and sounds, right? That's kind of the point.
0: Yeah. And like how how well, how well you you'll be able to speak to this more than, than I will. Um how much does this stick to the actual story of Oh my Donald God. Trump? I
2: mean like in a in a cursory mode. Only. <laughs> a glance. They glanced at the book and went, we'll do something. So the ideas are there. They've they've mash up um a lot of it with uh like Alistair Crowley and his writing. So there's a lot like Lovecraft stuff is, that doesn't really reference like God or the devil or anything like that, because it's like, it's beyond that. It's Uh just like, oh, there's aliens and it's all of this, these things that were here before us. And it's just like, it's nothing to do with any of that. Whereas in this movie, it relies a little bit more on sort of satanic imagery and things like that. Things more earthly, you know, there's nothing cosmic about it. Um, like I said, Dean Stockwell's character is, like, very
0: suave and sexy. Yeah. There's no sex in Lovecraft. He's almost like a charismatic, he's got, like, that charismatic cult leader vibe to yeah. him. Do you know what I mean? Like, you could, you could see him seducing people into, like, following him and kind of having this kind of, like, cult of Cthulhu. Almost, yeah, yeah, like. yeah.
2: Exactly. And I, I think they're, they're basically just asking him to do, like, a young a young Alistair Crowley who... who um you know, was uh well, not so much in his later life he but was a sexy dude um <laughs> as, you know, as from what I've heard um but uh yeah, so it it doesn't really stick to it that closely. It's a very cool story it um ends up with like this big uh sort of climactic battle on the on the hill where Wilbur Whateley, Dean stockwell is trying to sacrifice uh Dee d to um bring back the old ones and uh his twin brother, whose name I don't think we learn never learn it um he's like escaped and he's rampaging through the through the forest, and again, he's just like some colors and some flapping oh, the flapping wings thing is kind of a cool idea. this comes up a a lot in the film, there's something from the story uh is about whippoorwills the birds yeah, the
0: birds right yeah, anytime someone dies, there's like this kind of Like it's (laughs) the sound design on it is like it just sounds like like they're saying birds. I'm like. Is that someone just crumpling paper? Yeah. Like, what is that going on? So
2: that is something from the story where there's um local law that uh whipperwills, <laughs> the birds, um, are what will carry your soul away after you've died. That's, that's a um, cool idea. Which I think is called a psychopomp. I think that's the word for something that is like a a ferryman between uh-huh. here and there. I've probably got that slightly wrong. Um but that but the, they are these psychopomp figures and that um, every time the locals are like, oh, you hear a Whippoorwill call and it means that someone's died and that, that they're coming to like take their soul. And so that's a really nice, unnecessary, I would say, touch that in this movie, they they have that as an element. And when the granddad dies, they're like, oh, the birds are coming to get yeah, him yeah, and, yeah. and stuff like that. You, they didn't need to put that in.
0: And we get it, we get it again right with, with Wilbur's mum. And there is... There is some great stuff. There are some great kind of lined like just lines in this film, like when we first meet Lavinia, who is Wilbur's mum, they're like, uh, well, obviously we see her giving birth, but then we like it's like, Armitage by the local doctor, who obviously in his kind of fact-finding mission is trying to, like, he's going to the, he's, he's going to the, like, the guy off the general store being like, what do you know about Wilbur Waitley? And he's like, well, you need to speak to the doctor. And he's like, oh, so go to the doctor. Speaks to the doctor, he's like, it was, it was the grandfather who gave, who, who who delivered the boy, not I. And so he goes to speak to him. And then, uh, when, yeah, when he goes to the asylum to meet Lavinia... Um, I think it's him, they say either the doctor or one of the orderly, who goes, you wouldn't believe it, but she's only 45. This, this- <laughs> is a cool element. Yeah. And,
2: and we see her and she's sort of this haggard gray haired <laughs> yeah. I mean, haggard, I'm being mean to the actor, but like the, the point is she's yeah, not yeah, 45, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's got a exploitation like kind of character yeah. on screen. And
2: I think it's the, um, in the story again, she's a bit more like in on it. She, she wants your her. So the point is that um, she the, the the baby daddy is Yog Sothoth uh-huh. from beyond, and so she has um, somehow through the use of the Necronomicon she has mated with this like impossible, unknowable being from beyond the void. With the idea being that one of their children will then be able to bring the dad back to our dimension. And going through this process has obviously taken its toll, yeah. right, on her. <laughs> uh, so she's she's been able to produce the two children, but she's like never the same again.
0: Well, you'll be able to answer this more like more than I will because I actually don't know the answer. So you you're like hopefully you, you, you may know it. Is the character of Lavinia obviously that is a character name we get in? Uh, Color Out Space, that's one of the daughters of the family. Wow. Is that is that Richard Stanley and his adaptation making a reference to the wider um universe of H. P. lovecraft it's been a
2: really long time since i've read color out of space now lovecraft did reuse a lot of names especially because some of them were like quite regional massachusetts names Uh and so he was there would always be these names Uh also i think he maybe met two women in his entire life (laughs) if one of them was called lavinia he would have just used that name again and again
0: yeah because like because obviously we talked about that planned richard stanley trilogy i think Dunwich horror would have been the final one in that in, i'd in, heard it
2: was coming yeah yeah
0: in 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 that trilogy so and there's kind of like you almost get like groundwork with the character of lavinia in that, that you could see her oh yeah buying into eventually like fully buying into this this cult like thing and yeah. kind of being into this thing of trying to summon the old ones and yogsafof's baby mama essentially
2: yeah when i watch films with um with my wife uh, any kind of film uh-huh. um whenever there's like the bad the baddies are on there and they're explaining their plan her thing one of her like classic lines <laughs> um, is she always says um uh why would you bother being evil like like why would you do it like the things that they're trying to do are never worth it and never work out and she's just like I don't know why you'd bother being evil Uh and I think one of the things that's quite appealing to me within these types of stories is the baddies aren't I don't know how evil they are they're just I don't know they're just poking their noses where they shouldn't belong which I think is kind of human nature
0: well, I think there's that element, and like, I think colour space Spaces are great, like, counterpoint to, to that because there almost isn't like an evil. Do you know what I mean? There's like. A colour can't be evil. A colour can't be evil. And it's like, there's. Yeah, there's. Except for maybe like purple. There's <laughs> magenta. Yeah, I think it's magenta in that film. colour. Uh, no thanks, Barbie. Uh, <laughs> like. Um, but I think it's a, a good kind of device to tap into this inherent evil of man, right? That, like, I think that's what's kind of fascinating, especially, yeah, with the two H.P. Lovecraft adaptations I've seen. Is it's Oh, mate, of... you haven't seen From Beyond? No, I've never oh, seen From Beyond. <laughs> I
2: don't think it's got any copplers in it, but you've got to watch From Beyond. Stuart Gordon... Which, again, is this idea with that. There's um, a dude invents a machine called the Tillingast resonator. Uh And when he turns the machine on, you can see the the other dimension that exists on top of ours at all times. It's always there, but you can't see it until you turn on this machine. But when you turn on the machine, they can see you too. Oh, shit. And uh, spoiler alert, the things that live in that other dimension, they're not friendly, but... There's also this weird extra amount element that hanging out with them is like kind of addictive, <laughs> and people keep turning the machine on because they're like, no, I need more i need to I need to know, I need to see what else is there. It's like a recurring theme within within this type of story
0: well, I think when we look at kind of h b Lovecraft even inspired work like you mentioned uh Hellraiser earlier, they're good ways to create art, uh, like analogical stories for other things right like in the yeah. way that like Uh, Hellraiser is essentially, like, uh, it could be a thing on addiction, like that kind of, and like you're saying with uh, From Beyond, it is that thing of, like, people get addicted to this, like, something that is essentially going to kill them. Or
2: or even just um, the pursuit of knowledge. Like, another one that uh, I I don't, it's not necessarily talked about that often as being a Lovecraftian story, but I would class it as, like, like the fly, uh-huh, for yep. example, where a man is like destroyed by his own pursuit of this scientific thing. There's no sort of magic in it. There's no none of these stories have have magic in it. I mean, even in the Dunwich horror, Dunwich horror, it's not within the fiction of that film. It's not magic, it's science. It's yes. it's it's just it's that's the way that the universe is.
0: Yeah, it's kind of it's 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 fascinating because. I don't know, and, and it's got me thinking. You mentioning the flight is like it's kind of is, and, and and we're giving the man credit here. And again, we must we must stress H.P. Uh, Lovecraft himself. But his writing is that essentially what creates like gloopy body horror in some way. <laughs> like, so well, uh,
2: again, like, and um, what you've you've touched on something there that I think is worth mentioning. That like. You know, he wanted to call it Yog The reason it's called, his body of work is called the Cthulhu Mythos is that after his death and long until the present day, other writers have continued to work within that same realm. And a lot of the ideas and things that show up in stuff that's called Lovecraftian or Cthulhu Mythos work is actually from a, a plethora of other writers, who some of whom maybe weren't enormous assholes um but like uh, you know so we can't give um the the bad man the entirety of the credit for delving into this space and creating things like body horror that we're talking about because i don't think there's that much of that in his work but the people that it did inspire you know some of who for example uh the writer of lovecraft country yeah, yeah. Um, things like that there is a lot of cool interesting stuff in there you know it's an interesting um scab to pick at isn't it yeah
0: it's like a jumping it's, it's like a good jump it's a great jumping off point and it is interesting as well that like what would you say and I, i'm always fascinated by this like what is the definition of lovecraftian like it's a word that's bound like any germane you know I like you hear oh anything's a bit weird it's like oh it's very lynchian it's like is it is it's just a bit confusing like it seems to be a, a kind of re, like a shortcut to like that, that doesn't really go anywhere but what would you describe as like lovecraftian
2: to my mind it's generally about someone trying to solve a mystery that involves um supernatural elements that aren't magical. It's kind of where like science overlaps with philosophy and will definitely get you killed. <laughs> I mean, I might as well say to you dude, what is the definition of
0: copollian? Uh it doesn't it, it has no it has no def- like copler is a director. So if we look at Francis for instance, somebody who's just worked in multiple different genres and you know what I mean like you look at just kind of his his big hitters The Godfather apocalypse now uh the conversation and bram stoker's dracula for instance different different stories completely i guess is the 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 the, the key theme in coppola's work and i would say is kind of and i think it, it it goes through to Sophia as well is family and i guess that that is really defined with his kind of big breakout with the godfather but then he kind of ditches that with the conversation immediately and then yeah like but in a lot of his later stuff that is something that you look at the outsiders and rumblefish like big in there and stuff like that mm. but i think i think that's like a yeah like a, a tenement that he comes back to all the time and then sophia like as much as like found family and kind of trying to i don't know yeah yeah lost in translation a film that you don't like i think there is an element of like kind of i don't know trying to find this familial some kind of relationship and like whether it is yeah like however you look at yeah because obviously when when you're in a romantic relationship i guess in the end you're there, the end point can be creating a family so i think yeah i think family is is what i would say is the kind of the copola thing then nick kind of goes off into weird tendrils and J- jason schwartzman is like hey i'll just play weird little guys you would like to punch in the face
2: <laughs> and what did you think of talia shire in the dunwich horror
0: oh look at you doing my job todd um well, I'll fire that right back at you in a second. But before we do, oh. I wanted to ask you about like just some of the performances in general, and we'll kind of we'll kind of just go through some of the the key players in this. So we have talked a little bit about Dean Stockwell. What what do you think of his performance overall?
2: I think it's fan bloody tastic um he carries the movie for Uh me he's so good isn't he um he does a really good job of doing this sort of like smoldering um upper class like well but like like um decayed upper class um, yeah so uh there's uh you know that, that word decadent um uh-huh. the original meaning of decadent means uh in decline or in decay mm-hmm. um so that you have to kind of reach these these great heights and then like fall from them to be like decadent <laughs> so people will talk about decadence and, and sometimes nowadays people use it more as like just meaning luxury yeah, 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 or yeah. indulgence but it's it's this idea of like oh you're losing your kind of your greatness and your wealth and your you know if you keep on like that you will be in the gutter and he's kind of he's got this thing he lives in this manky old house, but his clothes are really nice. And... It's
0: like that. It's like that old money British thing, right? Like pe- people have got money. They they live in these kind of dusty old manors, but they've got loads of money. Mm. Like it's kind of, it's, it's, got, it's kind of air of that. And obviously, like is it like New England area? It's in like Massachusetts, what, yeah, Massachusetts, yeah, Massachusetts, New England. Yeah, it's like where like the kind of because there is this kind of it has got those like cunt, yeah, like there is almost a Britishness to it in a weird way where it could be these like old stately homes mm. that they're living in. Yeah, I think I think Dean Stockwell's fantastic in this and I've got to give a shout out to Richard C. Glauner the cinematographer because the way he shoots Dean Stockwell because there's a lot of like these really great kind of like panning in shots a lot of the time and we get these great like shots of like Dean Stockwell's eyes a lot of the time. And yeah, he really does. He really does carry the film because you don't. I you don't know how to feel about him throughout most of it. I don't know. Well, it, you
2: do see him um, secretly uh, drug is true. drug Sandra's tea, is true. and then mess up the engine on her car so she cannot yes. leave. Yeah. So I think it's pretty clear from the start <laughs> that he's like a baddie, but he does it with this kind of kind of quiet
0: like panache. Yeah, and there's like this thing of like I don't know, like and I don't think that is something that would be interesting to have taken out do you know what i mean like Mm. or even if they'd got uh like it could have been him but like just doing some insert shots of like hands use that kind of play from the Jallow handbook of yeah. like
2: black like, leather gloves
0: yeah 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 yeah. it's, it's interesting we talk about that because obviously this film at one point was going to be directed by mario bava like
2: yes who i love mario bava that would have been fantastic i think the audio would have been quite bad if he had done <laughs> it but um that was great can, can we talk about the the amount of times that dean stockwell does the alistair crowley thumb thing
0: is that an alistair crowley so thing if, if
2: uh i don't i don't want to break the fourth wall but um for the listener uh petrus if you do a google image search for alistair crowley um who was the kind of uh satanist occultist writer uh sexual deviant drug um pioneer um from back in the day if you scroll down through the photos of him you will absolutely see somewhere there we go. He's got like a big triangle on his head and he's got his fists on either side of his face with his thumbs poking out. And this is the thing that Dean Stockwell does throughout this movie. Yeah, When he has to say his magic words from the Necronomicon. Now, Petros, I'm from Brighton. You've been to Brighton, right? Yes, you, I used to we, live there. Yeah. Did you know that um, Alistair Crowley was cremated in Brighton?
0: I do, yeah. So my... My old flatmate, and here's a tangent for you, had a lot of Alistair Crowley books. Wow. Was a big, was a big fan. And I remember kind of seeing these books laying about and kind of like very interesting covers. Do you know what I mean? These kind of like pentagram-esque mm. designs on the front. And like I do, I just went in this kind of like deep Google hole and like checking stuff out watching youtube videos maybe listen to a couple of podcasts on him and yeah immediately i was like oh he's basically he's around there somewhere like do you know what I mean there's, well his ashes uh, got
2: posted to america apparently
0: but they, they're still though some of them when he got cremated it's in the air baby it's in the soil <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah somewhere maybe one of those thumbs but this is so again this is like a clear clear reference um you know, anyone listening, look up this picture of Crowley where he's got a pyramid on his head. He's doing his thumbs all the way through this movie. Dean Stockwell's doing this whenever he's got to put on a robe and read from the Necronomicon and have some, like, some cosmic horror sex Yeah, happen.
0: Yeah, so the, I think the next person to talk about is Sandra D. What did you make of her performance?
2: Um, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, we, we've touched on the, you know, I know her name from the Grease song, but I, I'm not 100% sure i seen her before i think it's cool she's good um for dramatic purposes it's it suffers from how like placid she is throughout yeah. and i think it's the thing that she's being drugged right she's being drugged so she, whatever it is that dean was like hey we should do this let's go get naked in this field and then go do a ritual or whatever she's kind of just like yeah Sound, it's quite, yeah, sounds it's quite. cool. I'll bring some twiglets. She's like fine with the whole thing, which means that she doesn't get to do like the horror scream queen thing of being like, no, I've got am holding yeah, the door, yeah, yeah. grabbing well, the no. knife. You get away from me, you son of a bitch. Yeah. You'll never do a yogsafoth on me. <laughs> um she never gets to do that. So she's always just like, Yeah, cool, sounds chill, right? Right up and down to the final ritual where well, she's yeah, like yeah getting naked, lying down on the altar. He does the thing with the thumbs on his face again. Um, and then it comes down to that musty old professor from the start of the movie, oh, Ed yeah, Begley Sr., has to come and fucking rescue her.
0: Even when he, like, comes and rescues her and, like, she's kind of out of the haze of Yog kvaff and, like, Wilbur's kind of control, she's very much like, oh, okay... Like, um, and like, she, like, he's apologising to her, like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's like, oh, where's Wilbur gone? Oh, no. And it's like, I don't know. I think she has a bit of a thankless task. She does great with what she's given. Yeah. But I think she gets a bit of a thankless. She's just kind of docile and just, like, milling about. Where it's like, her her friend Elizabeth in mm. the film kind of gets that thing of like going around the town like what's happening with my friend? Like what what is going on? Like she gets to do that kind of like crazed like trying to uncover this like conspiracy that could be going on. Yeah. Whereas like Sandra D just kind of yeah, like once she's once she's drugged, it's like kind of, oh it's do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's like a flat line with a couple of boop occasionally. Like. Can we talk about the final
2: shot of the movie that happens after she's been rescued? Do you have oh. any thoughts on that?
0: What the... Well, well, it's got it's got one thing I love in a film. It's got like a, a, a tiny firewalk in this film because uh, Dean Stockwell <laughs> basically bursts into flame and falls off a cliff. And then we get that shot. Oh, I know the shot you're talking of.
2: I'm talking about when it zooms in on her tummy and we get a little x-ray, and there's a little baby in there.
0: Yeah, well, this this reminds me, weirdly, of there is a later uh, Talia Shire film called The Prophecy that is... No, sorry. No, there's no definite ar- article to that for It's just, no, it's just called, called Prophecy. Prophecy. Yes, pro- The Prophecy is the Christopher Walken film. That was the
2: one I thought you meant.
0: The Not that film. This is a John Frankenheimer 1979 film about a mutant bear in the woods and it is fun bloody tastic but uh that film ends with talia shire's character being pregnant like on the same not kind from of, the bear no but from her husband but There is like it's kind of implied that like the mutation would happen because it's it's in the water. the water in in that area is what is making it's a very weird ecological thriller. Uh, No, yeah, kind of ecological horror. Listeners, go back in the archive. It's in there. A fantastic episode with uh, Will Chich where we discuss that film. But yeah, it's it's that it's got that same denouement. and like Mm. it's done a lot. It's done a lot funnier in this film because we get a kind of like. What would that be? A kind of like rear projection or like front projection of like a kind of baby in like utero, yeah, yeah yeah, baby, yeah, yeah,
2: like from like a science uh,
1: textbook.
2: Yeah. yeah, exactly. But it's interesting because so obviously the baddie Wilbur and his twin brother they were twins whose dad was Yog Sothoth. One of them looked more like the dad and was this horrible, unknowable, like yeah, killer yeah. flapping thing. The other one was sexy Dean Stockwell. So. This baby in Sandra D is the grandchild of Yog Sothoth. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah. we can see from the little proje- like projection thing was shown, looks more normal, F- right? No F- sort F- of weird F- alien baby-ness to it. Maybe that'll come out more in puberty. <laughs> but like in theory, this this one, you know, seems a little bit more if it's got the kind of the smarts of, of Wilbur and the and the power and otherworldliness of his brother, maybe this one all managed to do what, what Wilbur did not, right? I think that's the implication.
0: Is there a sequel? Is, is there a sequel story to... Does this story continue in H.P. Lovecraft's I'm writing? I'm trying
2: to think, like, you're putting me on the spot. There's a lot of people out there that will know so much more about this than me. I'm a bit of a dilettante. Um, Yog Sothoth shows up in other stories for sure. Um, I don't know if there is... And and probably the town of Dunwich shows up as well, or Dunwich, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But I I don't think there's a, a sort of a direct Dunwich horror to this time. It's personal.
0: Well, I think with this kind of reveal at the end as well, and like just from having a quick glance at Wikipedia, I hadn't put two and two together, but like this film was basically rushed into production 'Cause it had been kind of on the shelf since nineteen sixty three, like kicking around the idea of Much Horror. But was kind of you can imagine it was like, yeah, kickstarted into production after the success of Rosemary's Baby.
2: That's what I thought.
0: Yeah. Yes. This is like, do you know what I mean? This is kind of like and and when you kind of look at it through that light, it's like oh yes like even when you think of the kind of even the dream sequences have got like that kind of because i think there's moments in that and she's like on a jetty and stuff like that right and and, like this is like in we can't go on a jetty like bodies of water a bit too expensive we just do it in a field we do a bed (laughs) in a field that that, that's a bit more our speed but like yes kind of that's fascinating i'm not sure if i like the film less now that it is basically like a uh, what properties have we got knocking about? We've got so much horror. Can we get a bit more Rosemary's Baby, please?
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it's an, an interesting thought. I it, 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 I wasn't sure if it was just the time, just the gestalt of what was going on then, uh, or, you know, yeah, it was a I, deliberate I, thing.
0: I would imagine with Roger Corman's kind of production company and the fact that they are such a, like a low-budget outfit and yeah. kind of churning stuff out, they would be like a, that's hot. Let's do something like that. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> as you kind of see, they kind of like churn things out. But um, let's go back to the performances. We must, must, must talk about Talia Shire. Of course. Who has, she, she plays... Um, nurse Cora. Yeah, Nurse Nurse Cora. What did you what did you think of her performance? Because she gets a cu- she gets a couple of scenes. She's right?
2: cool. Yeah. Look, man, we uh our, our couple of connections are slightly few and far between in this movie. <laughs> I think she literally has three scenes. So she is the nurse that works for the doctor who delivered the Waitley children. Um so uh when I, I guess our um, principal hero, uh, the sort of crusty old doctor is, uh, crusty old professor is in there talking to the doctor and getting all of the in, important information, supposedly. It cuts back to the women in the reception area, <laughs> the nurse and, and his mate. Uh, and they're just like chatting about the town. And Cora is sort of casually chatting yes. about the Waitleys. And she's like, oh, I wouldn't go to that house if I were you. That's When I, when I was a kid, we always used to say that house was haunted. And you know what? I don't think they're alone up there. I think there's... A yeah, that's weight. like a...
0: That's like a... She gets that good night... That like good little kind of... Strong, right? ...moment. And I was like... That's kind of... I, and I, I like that more than the kind of... I don't know. It's almost like a kind of... hmm. hmm stuff that we get in the doctor's office. With this, it's like that that folklorish thing that like you hear about those houses growing up especially like in suburbia You're like oh I don't look at that house like there's oh, so crazy things going on in there or like, there's there's always stories and i like i i re- i was like ah oh, okay she gets to do this kind of folklore expo- exposition to some degree but at least kind of filling in the blanks of who the waitleys are i was kind mm. of i was like oh good for Talia getting to do getting to do a bit of this And she right. does it
2: well like she kind of throws the line away uh what what i mean is like a deliberate choice uh-huh. as an actor like she doesn't like labor the point she doesn't underline it yeah. she like tosses it out like meh, 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 meh. like knowing its importance it's very cool so we get that We get a second scene where the doctor has to suddenly leave to go and save the day, and she helps him put his coat on. (laughs) Like, you know, cool, she's a jobbing actor, do what you got to do, but that's the scene. Uh, And then there's a bit after that where she crashes her car and dies,
0: right? Well, she crashes her car and, like, gets out fine, even though it's kind of, like, gone into a fence and then like walk through the woods and it's the brother that gets her right it's the 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 color the color the color attacks her from nowhere and she is she she's She's dead, baby. She's but like she got a death, which is like you've got to be. I don't know. It's got you got to be an important character, even though we see later on this film is like characters we've never seen before. It's just like they just start getting killed at random. But yeah, she gets like a significant. She gets a, at least a scene out of it, right? She yeah. gets she gets a car crash, and she's a solitary character. She's not just like the hordes of the town people who kind of are ready for a lynching of a of a waitley Do you what She she is just like. I don't know and I think her death is like Elizabeth's one is sadder because it's like well within the confines of this film we have at least got to know this character somewhat
2: yeah yeah yeah.
3: and she was an innocent
0: yes 100 percent um I'm just gonna go through some of the things that are on my notes here some big questions I've got for you Todd hit me one of them. What did you think of the mustaches in this film?
2: Uh, they're strong. I guess they don't speak to me on a personal level. You know, I'm, 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 I'm looking at you. I'm seeing a mustache, <laughs> staring back. I'm not going to say anything ill about mustaches. No, no,
0: no. no. Well, I, what, what, one thing I would say, is, as a man who has got one that cannot come off, there is some, there is some hokey mustache work in this film. Dean Stockwell's is not real, right?
2: Oh, I see. I thought you were angling to it. Like, seriously, I was looking at you. There's this mustache no, there. No, no, and no. I thought you were just being like, you, do you like mustaches or not? No. Come no, on, no, mate. No. Do you like them or not? No. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to say anything bad about mustaches. No, no, no. I say what you
0: want about mustaches. You know, there's bad mustaches in this film.
2: Okay, few. Okay, mine's good. Mine's
0: bad as well. I'm just. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but mine's real. No, yeah, yeah. Because Dean Stockwell's is quite. Terrible. And then I, I, I realized quite near the end, and I wasn't sure whether it was. Fake to begin with and then real. Oh no, no, no. No, real to begin with. Sorry, real to begin with and then fake. But uh the doctor, Dr. Corey, mm. his mustache near the end, I'm like, did they need to like come back and do a shoot like uh, a couple more days and he had shaved it off? Like, I think <laughs> the
2: thing that you're not counting for is the fact that his mustache grows in dimensions not capable of being seen <laughs> by the human eye. So <laughs> it's actually very good,
0: <laughs> and um, a, a big question I had with this film mm. is: Is Nancy shagged by the Necronomicon? We get a scene that she is up on the altar, and Wilbur puts the Necronomicon between her legs. Kind of using like her crotch as like a book, basically like a book stand to to, to read from it, and mo- like it, the 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 scene continues, and we have Nancy like moaning in pleasure, and I'm like, is this the conception of the? As the uh, is the Necronomicon somehow? like releasing the i don't is it yogs a Foff i was like is it is it wilbur's seed like what is what is happening here well Isn't don't
2: it? we see in the evil dead movies in those films the book has a mouth right yeah and a big a big old i'm not saying I'm not, saying I'm not
0: saying like it figure i'm not saying it literally is it like it's this kind of like i don't know it almost feels like this this sexually charged sequence where like, yeah
2: I mean, maybe like, you know, maybe, mate, maybe Um, like we do know that by the end of the movie, she is pregnant, although I feel like that's probably from one of the earlier romps that she has with with Wilbur. Um, But it's possible. I think she just likes hearing the words more than anything. I think it's the words that bring that because Dean is reading from the book and doing the Alistair Crowley thumbhead thing and saying Yogg-Sothoth a lot. Um, I think that's what's, what's having her like moan and be like, yeah, baby, testify. Um, <laughs> more, than, more than the book being between her legs. That's is, my personal view.
0: This is crafted erotica, baby. Like, he's, he's getting to the juicy stuff. More love, less, less craft. Fifty Shades of Magenta. <laughs> <laughs> so before we wrap up on this film, is there anything that we've kind of missed that you kind of wanted to uh, shine a spotlight on, Todd?
2: That's a great...
0: Question, and I'm
2: definitely not stalling for time. Um, no, man, we've covered it all. I mean, we've covered everything from impossible geometry to uh magenta and uh Sandra D. Like, what more is there to talk about?
0: Well, one thing that there is left to talk about in this podcast is were there any copla connections in this film? And what I mean by that is, is there anyone in front of or behind the camera? Who has worked with the Copulas elsewhere? Could you spot any, Todd? No worries if you can't. You didn't because you're looking at me very terrified right now. (laughs) (laughs) I am absolutely drawing
2: a blank, baby.
0: Well, I've got, I've got a couple. I've got, yeah, I've got a couple for you. Um, They're kind of, I've, i well, Dean Stockwell is a man who has worked with the Copulas a handful of times. Oh, whoa! So he is in. Roman Coppola's debut feature, CQ, as Dr. Ballard. He is in The Rainmaker as Judge Harvey, stepping back into Francis Ford Coppola's work. He's also Howard Hughes in Tucker, The Man and His Dreams. Oh, wow. And is Homer Thomas in Gardens of Stone, as well as being um, in Mr. Wrong, a film that is uh cinematographer is john schwartzman so he's got he's got a nice bit of coppola credentials has our good boy dean stockwell wow good for him yeah yeah i and i, I like to think because obviously cq came after the run of films that francis would have done with him that like when it came to roman his son doing his first feature is like dad could you could you ask Dean Stockwell it'd be in my film, please? <laughs> <laughs> he asked exactly like that as well, like a Dickensian child. <laughs> please, sir. <laughs> please, sir. Be in my film. Um, that is it because I guess with the time that this film came out, a lot of actors in this, like Ed Begley, for instance, this is basically one of his final roles. He died in nineteen seventy. Yeah. So a lot of the yeah, like um, uh, Jaffe as well, like kind of a bit long in the tooth and like you don't really they're not spanning into the 80s and 90s so they're not really they're definitely not working with Sophia. (laughs) um so when we come to rating films on this podcast todd i like to ask my guests what would be the perfect wine pairing for this film what would you pair with the dunwich horror
2: um, I don't think it matters what the wine is as long as it's spiked with psychedelics.
0: Oh, uh, yep, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah
2: Ideally, yeah, yeah. maybe like a nice chilled Lambrusco, something with a little <laughs> bit of sparkling fizz to
0: it. Nice. Um,
2: but that that would be sort of the ideal. It's like like either that or like you know, Kool Aid.
0: Yeah. That. Yeah. And, and and you you have to you have to chase it up with a good old hit of dmt yeah to to, to be taken into another plane of existence that you'll come back try and explain and people will be like you've gone mental mate <laughs> uh yeah that's i yeah I've, I've got to agree with you there i think i don't know there's a there's a slight full-bodied... I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to try and... uh, This is a hard one. This
2: wine is impossible to describe. With human senses, Ah, it's impossible to taste.
0: (laughs) So, how much are we paying for this wine? Is it a bottom shelf, middle shelf, or top shelf wine? It's bottom shelf, but it'll mess you up. You can't
2: pay more for this wine than Roger Corman would pay for an actor, right? Right.
0: Yeah, I think this is the this is like using this obviously loose analogy to talk about the film itself. I think this is kind of this is bottom shelf, but it's it's that it's that great fun bottom shelf where you're like, How could, like I rated this on Letterbox as three stars because I was like do you know what i had fun with my time with it it, it just does have it has this a, a vibe it's a so
2: vibe
0: yeah and i'm like uh, i'm here for that i'm here for like sexy dean Stockwell, just kind of being moody and sinister and just i don't know the it, it does what it, it does it, it does what it sets out to do and it's a bit of fun so so yeah this is this is bottom shelf but um I don't know. It's teetering. Maybe it's middle shelf with a yellow sticker. (laughs) (laughs) So I must ask you, Todd, as we uh, start to wrap things up, based on this film alone, are the Coppolas the greatest film family of all time?
2: Based on this film alone, I mean, it's hard to say because you can't give the Coppolas that much credit for this film alone, Um, but it's pretty strong. So I would say...
0: No, That is absolutely fine. We win some, we lose some, okay? I would tell you what the running tally is, guys, but it's something that I forget to always keep track of. Okay, Uh, so let me ask you two questions, uh, Todd, before I let you out into the world. Go ahead. The first one being, which Coppola family member would you keep, but in doing so you get rid of the entire filmographies of the rest of the family?
2: Ooh. What an incredible opportunity! Um, I would keep Jason Schwartzman.
0: Would you care to expand on that? What is it about Jason Schwartzman's work? Why didn't you pick a Jason Schwartzman film?
2: Um, I would keep him because I recently rewatched The Poker King. Yes. Um, and I like that film. It's cute.
0: That is that is great. That is actually that that is one yet to be covered oh, really? on the podcast. Yeah, and I like. For, for for somebody who i said earlier is like plays these characters that like nine times out of ten deserve a slap and i don't mean that in like <laughs> i think jason schwartzman's great and i is that it just happens to be those are a lot of his characters i think when you start your career with max fisher it's kind of you might have pigeoned yourself into yeah. this thing and the fact that he looks like a a perpetual child it's like ah oh, you want to slap him but you You don't, because it's like, oh, you look so sweet. I can't. But yeah, Poker King, I think, is one of those rare instances where he plays just a nice guy, right? He's a
2: nice guy who's completely in over his head because he's hitched his wagon to the wrong star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's gone gone ride or die for someone that he thinks is his mate, and he's not. The the pitch that I would give to anyone who may or may not want to watch The Poker King is that there's a point in uh, the movie where Jason Schwartzman's character has the opportunity to get whatever he wants for the first time in his life. He's holding all the marbles. He can make an outrageous demand and get whatever he wants. And what he chooses is that he wants to be given the nickname Mickey Pizzazz.
0: <laughs> that was that that was literally on my mind. I was like, yeah, he's got a, he's got a great name in that film. I was think I was genuinely just thinking that Mickey Pizzazz is like exactly what I think about when I think of that film. <laughs> amazing yeah Jay, yeah, Jason Schwartzman said that, 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 that's a good pick see you later Sophia see you later Francis see you Nicholas Cage bye um, I must ask you this possibly the most important question of the whole podcast I know you don't like the film itself but what does Bill Murray say to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation
2: I can only assume he says I hope
0: no one ever finds
2: out what a domestically violent piece of shit I am please don't tell anyone <laughs> And she'd be like, yeah, okay, mate. Yeah, I definitely won't tell anyone. Wink.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Don't listen to Seth Green, all right? I'd never throw him in a bin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Or Gina Davis or anyone else that's ever encountered him being a huge piece of shit. Yeah. (laughs) On Lovecraftian levels. Yes. Yes. That's, That's what we can only
0: assume. Todd thank you so much for joining me on the podcast where can people find uh, yourself obviously yeah you, you you make music you write stories have you, have you ever written anything Lovecraftian
2: uh tried to you know what it's quite hard <laughs> um no people can find me I guess uh check out the bitter end podcast it's on all of your Podcatcher vibes if you like uh caged in then you'll like that probably maybe
0: well, yeah, I've got to say this, seeing as you are, like, people may not know this, I don't I don't know if there's a change in the audio, I hope not, I hope they all sound as great as each other, but Todd is sat like a metre in front of me, which is rare in these times, since the pandemic, we've all been doing this uh, digitally, but Todd is here, so I can say this looking into his eyes, I should have said this up front as well, because now, like, statistically, uh, people have dropped off by this point, but... Without, without the bitter end, there probably is no Caged In because I, 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 I remember it was the first podcast I ever listened to, and this sounds damning with faint praise and do not take it this way, <laughs> uh, is the fact that like it was the first podcast I listened to that was a truly indie podcast and was like, like this is so great. Maybe one day I can do something like that. And do you know what, guys? maybe in five ten years time i will hit that greatness oh mate that means the world
2: um well you've surpassed the greatness by an incredible
0: mile it's a pleasure to be here well thank you so much todd for coming and making some Copula connections with me
2: it's been my pleasure Yog yogsathoth
0: so there we have it guys the dunwich horror done and adusted. a massive thank you once again to todd jordan for joining me please do be sure to chat, to check out to chat out to check out all of the things that todd does whether that is the bitter end podcast rad spurts his amazing uh noise project that um yeah it's a lot of fun it's kind of like uh it's kind of like industrial dance gym music it's pretty mad yeah yeah sometimes when i'm working out i put on a bit of rad spurts and it kind of uh makes me feel anxious and energized which is exactly how i like to feel when i am uh, getting getting pumped as it were um yeah and thank you to you guys for listening if you've seen the dunwich horror and you feel like we've done this film a disservice, or you agree with what we said, or if there's points in this film that we missed that you would like to carry on the conversation, you can do so by heading on over to all of the socials. So that is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd, and TikTok, all at Caged In Pod. I certainly would love to hear from you, or you can drop me an email, which is cagedinpod at gmail dot com. As so for next week on the episode well that is a mystery guys like the cosmos like uh the book of the necronomicon like the movements of cthulhu you'll just have to listen in next week for another journey into the cupola family tree if you enjoyed this episode or any other episode of the podcast and would like to support what we do here over at caged in you bloody well can you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod give me some of your money <laughs> or if you want to give me money and get something tangible uh, that isn't my time and extra content you can do so by heading on over to t public uh the link is in the description or you can head over to etsy uh i recommend us listeners hit the t public uk listeners Hit the Etsy. Just because shipping-wise, it works out better for you in the long run. And there's no shipping fees and uh, import charges and all of that good stuff. And you get some amazing designs by the fantastic Tim Sinclair. Uh, Yeah, that's all up on there, so help out get 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 a little t-shirt have a little bit of fun uh yeah it's it's good when i see that kind of ticker go over and a new person to support the shirt a particular kind of bestseller and one that i enjoy is the bathroom time t-shirt which is a reference to the punnet Cosmotos film mandy so check that one out um head over to youtube.com forward slash caged in pod where you can uh yeah just subscribe to caged in tv which i promise i promise like all of these things will be kind of gearing up to do more i have just been very very busy as of late with something else that i should plug which is getting defoe you where myself and daryl edge with a host of amazing guests are going through the career of Willem Dafoe in curated seasons of his work inspired by the fantastic as Paul Dano okay and realizing from this here podcast that going chronologically for an actor's career can sometimes not be the greatest so kind of having a wide swath of great bad and everything in between per season He's making that quite fun and that will be dropping you'll be able to listen to that on the 28th of june where you'll get not one but two episodes with our introduction as to what we know about willem dafoe and our first episode which is in his first on-screen performance in michael Chamino's heavens gate uh, that feels like that is everything that needs to be plugged talked about and all of that good stuff so if you could be so kind as to rate review subscribe on apple podcast spotify or wherever you are listening to this right now that would be fantastic and much appreciated remember to let me know what you think bill murray says to scott johansson at the end of lost in translation for that to be read out on the podcast so as always guys i've been Petrus, Pat your guide through the crazy world of the Coppola family tree. Remember to keep it caged in and I'll catch you next time.
2: This podcast is presented by the breadcrumbs collective home of the pod Charles Cinecast, caged in Coppola connections, a drip telling Main, Maine franchised and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com.
1: Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network.
3: It's family.